you've used your mouth some more than others. I get that. You know, some are, are more shy. Others are more boisterous, we'll say. Um, <laughs> and so we, we use our, our mouths. We speak all the time. Now, I want to say this uh, before I go too much further. Some of us, uh, yes, we use our mouths and our tongues to speak. Some of us use our fingertips or our thumb, and we, we speak through Facebook and, and other social media things. And I, I want you to realize that these things apply there as well, the way we um, speak. But today I'm going to use the words like mouth and speaking, uh, but you can think of it figuratively as well for other venues. So we speak so much. We use our mouths so much. So that's one thing to think about. The next thing I want you to think about is how powerful the words that come out of your mouth can be. How powerful the words that come out of your mouth can be. Honestly, if you think about it, this little tongue, this muscle in our mouths can, can do such great things and such great damage. It can really make all the difference in the world. You think about it, uh, three and something years ago, <laughs> I don't know, I stood with uh, my wife and I said two very important words, didn't I? I do. And our world <laughs> has changed ever since. We just said these little words, I do. Or you could think about the father who just says a few words to a son in anger. You are a failure. You're worthless. Think of the, the directional change, the identity change that happens in that child's life because of those words. Or you could think about maybe on a lighter note, uh, maybe you know someone is uh, you know, having a surprise birthday party and you happen to see them and you, you say, oh, I'm so excited about your birthday party on Saturday. Ooh, and you've just ruined it, haven't you? <laughs> Foot in your mouth. Um, you, you think about how much power your tongue has. And we could look at all sorts of different examples uh, of how powerful our tongues are. For better or for worse, our words, our mouths, the way we speak can be world-altering, life-changing. We do it all the time. James puts it this way. Uh, this is uh, not just something I thought up. It's in James chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says... If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So something, this small little bit attached to a bridle can make a 2,000-pound horse go where a child wants it to. Then it says, verse 4, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So again, you think of it, this huge ship powered by these gigantic winds that are pushing in the sails have this little rudder sticking out the back end of the ship controlled by either, you know, um, I don't know what things are called. I'm not a, a, a boatman. But uh, anyways, such a big ship controlled by this teeny little rudder. Then verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It does great things. Then it says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You think of a forest fire, usually no one's using a flamethrower to start a forest fire, right? It's, it's one little campfire that was supposedly put out, but some, some embers that, that reignited, or, or some sparks, or a cigarette butt, you know. And this teeny little fire knocks out this huge area of forest. And James is saying our tongues are exactly the same way. It's like a bit in a horse. It's like a, a rudder on a boat. It's like a, a small fire that sets ablaze a forest. For good or for bad, better or for worse, our tongues are powerful. Our words, are, the way we speak is powerful. And we use our mouths all the time. We speak all the time. Now let me ask you, who, who gave you a mouth? Who, who gave you this mouth that you could use all the time? Who gave your words such power? I, I would say clearly, God created you and I. We we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit us together. He gave us mouths by his will. Our words have immense, unproportional power. And so would you not say that the God who made our words and made our mouths have such power might also have a good plan for how we can use them? Is it possible that this God that gave us mouths to use and, and gave, put such power behind them would have a plan for how he can be glorified and we can have great joy in using our mouths? 
And that's what we'll see today is two amazing ways that we should not only use our mouths, use our words, but how we can leverage our mouths. We, we, it is a lever God has given us, a, a machine God has given us to do more good than we could ever imagine because of the power he puts behind them. It can make all the difference in the world how we use our mouths. So let's read it uh, in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's God's word. That's what we'll look at today. Let's, let's pray. Father God, you have uh, brought to our attention um, a part of our, our lives that we may not give that much uh, thought generally, God. Our, our words, our mouths, the things that we say, the ways that we um, communicate. And so God, I pray that today, through your word, you would show us how this thing that we don't often use for good can be leveraged for your glory. God, help us to see this. God, transform our mouths through your word. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, what are these, these two ways that we just read in the verses that, that Paul wants us to do that we can leverage our mouths, that we use so often and have such power? How can we leverage our mouths? You see, number one in your notes is where we're going to start. It says there, or I have in your notes, leverage your mouth for prayer. Leverage your mouth for prayer. This is in verses two and three. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, there's so much we could say about prayer, and I, I have to pull a ton of things out of my notes to, to shorten things, but we need to understand that prayer, if our mouths have a lot of power, prayer has that much more power. Because when we pray, we are beseeching the God of the universe who is able to do far more than, ever, far more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Prayer has so much power. And I think there are two ways that Paul is telling us that we can and should be leveraging our mouths for prayer. Okay, um, I have them in my notes, but the first way I think of that I see in these verses is pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. I see this in verse chapter 2. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, with it, watchful in it with thanksgiving. And the reason I think that's talking about praying for yourself is in the very next verse, it says, At the, at the same time, pray also for us. So in addition to praying for yourself, pray for us. So we see that first we start by praying for ourselves. You know, that might sound kind of selfish <laughs> at first, at the first glance, the first time we think about it. And I, I've even heard some people, um, even some, I call them good people, I don't know. Um, I, I've heard some people, people who claim to be Christians, say, oh, no, 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 I never pray for myself. I only pray for other people. You know, and they have this, this air of, of uh, humility. Oh no, I, I could never pray for myself. I don't deserve it. You know, I, I only look out for the interests of others. Yeah, that might sound humble, but you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like it is covered in pride. Really, you don't pray for yourself. So you're telling me that you can do it yourself. You, Jeff Berry... You, I, I can prepare a sermon myself. I can preach God's word myself. I would never pray for myself. That, that's proud. I, I can do it myself is really what I'm saying. And that's how it is for your lives. If you say, I never pray for myself, or if you don't actually say that, but just never do it, what you're saying is, 
I don't need God. I can have the spiritual life that I need without God. I can uh, provide for my family uh, without God. I can serve my children. I can serve my church. I can do all these things without God. But I want to show you, if that's, if that's your uh, problem, that the Bible, especially the Psalms really, is filled with amazing prayers by individuals for themselves. And even the Psalms are, are set as guides for us to, to read and see how we can pray for ourselves. I think this is important, so I'm going to take a moment here. Psalms 119. I, I really just picked a random psalm. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. So I went to Psalm 119. Uh, and I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> totally joking. I hope you guys <laughs> brought your lunch. <laughs> I, I picked out some snippets of, of an individual praying for himself. I want you to listen to this. So this isn't, this is snippets. It's all, I'm just going to stream it together though. Psalm 119, in verse 10, I'm just starting with, it says, With my whole heart I seek you, talking to God. Let me not wander from your commandments. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I might live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things in your law. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end." Now, that's not the end of Psalm 119. It just said the word end, so I stopped there. Uh, but you get the idea. This person uh, who wrote Psalm 119 was not bashful. Oh, I could never pray for myself. You, say, you see, teach me your word, God. Incline my heart to your word. Open my mind. Open my ears. Turn me away from evil things. Help me not to look upon evil things. God, let me follow your ways. We pray for ourselves. We have that model in the Bible, so it's incredibly biblical. Not only is it a biblical model, but it's actually commanded in the Bible that we pray for ourselves. Did you know that? It is commanded in the Bible that you pray for yourself. Uh, Philippians 4 is just one that popped in my head. Philippians 4, verses 5 through 7. This is in the context of two ladies in, within the church that could not get along, okay? Euodia and Syntyche. Crazy names, but they, they weren't getting along. There was some spiritual growth that needed to take place. And so this is uh, what Paul says. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You guys aren't being reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Listen. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Pray for yourself. Don't be anxious. Have you ever been anxious? Well, then you better be praying for yourself. Again, this is not proud. This is needy. I need you, God. You are the God of the universe. I cannot change myself. I cannot direct my paths. I can make plans, but it's you're the one who establishes them. God, I need you. I need you. We pray for ourselves. If you refuse to pray for yourself, you are being disobedient and you're refusing the blessing that God wants to give you and the ways he wants to show his glory in your life. But on the other hand, as Paul is showing us here, we can leverage our mouths in prayer. We can leverage these, these things God has given us in prayer. I want you to know God can and will be gracious in your life, but he has ordained to, to do these things in your life through prayer. In answer to prayer, God has ordained to do these things in your life. 
It's not that you somehow release him, that he can't do it unless you pray, but he has ordained. I will give these things in answer to prayer. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, verse 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, which one of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, <laughs> if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God wants to give you good things. Ask, seek, knock. If us who are evil know how to give good gifts to others who ask, would God not also want to do that for us? The giver gets the glory. God wants to give in your life. And so we pray. Now, does this mean that God is some sort of a genie, you know, that, that we uh, conjure up anytime we, we need something, or not, sorry, need something, anytime we want something, you know, I want, I've got this God, he can fulfill my wishes. Now, that, that's not the case. I'm not going to go too far into that, but the Bible makes it very clear that when we pray, we're to be praying in accord, in alignment with God's will, in the name of, that is, uh, uh, based on the work of Jesus. We, we pray for these things. God's not a genie, but he does want to give his children, us, good gifts. So we pray. God, God, grow me. God, use me. God, provide for me. God, forgive me. We ask God these things. That's what Paul tells us first. Pray for yourself. But then in verses 3 and 4, he shows us another dimension, another category of prayer. Pray for others. We see that in verses 3 through 4. How we pray for others. Paul says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on, a, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. At the same time, pray for us also. This, guys, is our chance to battle in the Christian cause, for the Christian cause, in prayer. Isn't that amazing? We battle for the Christian cause, the Great Commission, in prayer. The first one was battling for our own soul. <laughs> this one, as we pray for others, is battling for the Christian cause in prayer. We have this amazing, amazing opportunity to leverage our mouths in the cause of, of preaching and evangelism and missions through prayer. We, we just got done, before I walked up here, doing the missions moment. That is not just for fun to see some other culture. It is battling for the Great Commission, battling for the Christian cause in prayer. You might wonder, well, I mean, how do I pray for other people? How do I pray for these, these you know, pastors, and how do I pray for evangelists who go out and missionaries? How do I pray for them? Well, Paul says there, he says, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. A, a door in this sense can, can be many things. It can be opportunities. We need God to open up opportunities for the word. But in addition to that, I believe it means open up hard hearts so that they can receive that word. God, Open up a door of opportunity for the Hollands. God, open up a door of opportunity for the Petties. God, oh, you know, we, we, we pray for these people. God, open up a door of opportunity for Pastor Jeff because he needs it. Then he says there, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray for us also that God would open up a door for the word and that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. An open door is little good. A soft heart is little good if there is no word, clear word, pushed through that door. <laughs> and that's what Paul's saying, is we want this opportunity. We want these soft hearts, 
but would you pray that God would give me a word? Would he, that he, that he would show me how these people need to hear the gospel so that it would be clear to them. It would be plain to them their sin, but Jesus' sacrifice and salvation that he offers them. Would you, would you help me? Because I need this door opened. I can't do it. And would you help me? I need clear words. I cannot do it on my own. It needs the power of God. Would you pray for me? That's what an amazing way, an amazing way that you can even serve this church would be to pray for me and whoever happens to be preaching, but generally me, um, and to pray for our missionaries and pray for the, the Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, that they would have an open door, these opportunities, soft hearts, and then a word from God to give you, a word from God to give those that the, the missionaries are reaching. We can leverage our mouths in prayer. First, we pray for ourselves so that we have the spiritual life in order to pray for others, and we pray for them. This is how we can leverage this, this tiny member. I, I realize you may not pray out loud. I generally don't. Um, but we can leverage it. I want to go through this somewhat quickly, but Paul did give us three characteristics of powerful prayer. We see that in verse 2 three characteristics of powerful prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfastly watchful with thanksgiving. So I'm going to run through what these mean, because sometimes we we think prayer is just talking to ourselves, you know, uh, letting our our thoughts wander, but that's not really what it is. So steadfastly, let's look at steadfastly. This steadfastness is is a consistency, okay? It is incredibly common for Christians, and even myself at times, to use prayer only when an emergency comes. We act like God is when we're dialing 911, you know? Uh, There's an emergency, okay, I I better call him up real quick and and use him, but other times, I I don't don't know about you, but I don't call 911 uh, just during the week when nothing's going on. I don't. I, I don't, you know, just call them up. Hey, how's it going? You know, I, I don't do that. But when there's an emergency, we call them, and we use God that way. Now, let me say this. You have an emergency? Absolutely. Dial up God. Call him. Call on him, the one who can change everything. But that can't be it. That's not steadfast prayer. Steadfast prayer is continual, persistent, tireless, and, and unceasing prayer. It's this attitude of continually coming to God. Now, I would say this also means steadfast, set aside a time, right? It's hard to find time to pray. Yes, we can pray all throughout the day, but, but be steadfast. Be diligent uh, in your prayer, disciplined even. That's steadfast prayer. The next one he says there is watchful. Be watchful in prayer. Uh, this one's kind of difficult. In, in my reading, in my study of the Bible, this, this word's used in, in many different ways. Uh, so I kind of tried to think of it. So what's the opposite of being watchful? It's kind of being asleep. You have a watchman on a, a wall or in a tower, and, and he falls asleep rather than watching, or he gets distracted. And now, you may not actually fall asleep during prayer, although there was a season, seriously, maybe a two or three year season, where I had to stand up at night to pray. My bed would be right here, and I'd have to stand there to pray, uh, because I knew (laughs) that if I tried to pray in bed, I'd fall asleep. Anyways, if you're not struggling with that, uh, there are other figurative ways that we fall asleep in prayer. Um, There are some people, uh, uh, God love them, I'm not trying to bash people, but If they got up and prayed, I could sit there and say their prayer the same time they're saying it, because I've heard it so many times. The exact same uh, uh, lifeless prayer come out of their mouths. Is that a watchful prayer? Is that a heartfelt, eager prayer? Again, a scripted prayer is okay. Uh, You know, we've got the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. You know, those are okay, but when there's no heart behind it, it's really going nowhere. God doesn't want us to just go through the motions of prayer. He wants heartfelt prayer. Uh, I I read, and I I thought it was a a good quote. It said, um, if there's no fire, the incense does not rise on the altar. Our prayer should go up as incense to God, but if there's no fire below it, that incense isn't going to rise up to God. 
Our prayers to be watchful should be heartfelt. You truly care about the things that you're praying for. You truly expect God to move in the things you're praying for. You have energy going to it. The third thing there he says is with thanksgiving. So our, our prayers should always be thankful. They should be mingled with this, this past and present and future-oriented thanksgiving. Oh man, I'm trying to think for time. I, I'll, I'll go through it. If you are a believer, you always have a past reason to thank God. Because there was a moment when you were walking in sin, following the, the path to hell, and God made you alive. He, he turned your future around. He changed you, made you new, reborn. God did that. If you are a Christian, you always have a reason to be thankful. God, thank you for the salvation you've given me in Christ Jesus that I do not deserve, but that you've so graciously poured on me. Thank you. And presently, again, as believers, we're not calling out to a God who is, is so far off. Who, who is distracted and not present. We're calling out to a God who is with us. I will never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the age. We have a present reason for thanksgiving. God, I need you right now. I'm in this trial, but I thank you that you're with me through it. I thank you that you are watching over me. I thank you that you are caring for me and that you're taking care of this issue. And then future. We can always have a future-oriented thanksgiving. God, your Bible, your, your word tells me that, that all things work together for, for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So I trust that whatever way this works out, it's going to be for my good and your glory. And I thank you for that. It may not go according to my plan. I, I might have to say your will be done, but I thank you for that because that will be for the best. So we can always have this past, present, and future thankfulness as we carry on continually in this steadfast prayer, a heartfelt, watchful prayer, and a thankful prayer. As we pray for ourselves and as we pray for others. Again, our mouths, we use them so often. Our words, we use them so often, and they have such great power. What if we're using these mouths to speak to the God of the universe, to ask him for what we need? How much more can that power be multiplied? God has given us an amazing gift through prayer to leverage our mouths. So that's the first thing we see in these verses, is this way that we can use our mouths this new year for speaking in prayer. But the second one we have here uh, is leverage your mouth for ministry. Leverage your mouth for ministry. So this is kind of how it goes uh, for me sometimes. I think, okay, especially before I became a pastor, by the way, but, you know, I think, okay, I'm praying for my pastor who I was sitting under preaching. I'm praying for missionaries. I'm praying for guys that I know are going out regularly and evangelizing. But what about me? <laughs> right? You know, do I not have the Holy Spirit? Am I not an ambassador for God? I'm praying for myself. I'm growing in God. What about me? Shouldn't I be doing something? And that's where I think Paul's going here. Leverage your mouth for ministry. You, Christian, leverage your mouth for ministry. He says this just to the everyday average Joe, average Jane, Colossian church member. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that's non-Christians, making the best use of the time. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, we talked about this some last week with how we, uh, you know, relate to our employers and employees. And I said to you, if, if you want to do ministry, that does not mean you need to quit your job. <laughs> it does not mean you need to get hired on at a church. That's, that's not what it means to ministry. Yes, hopefully I'm doing ministry here, but you can do ministry wherever God has you. That, that's what God does is he, he calls us in our vocation, in our current life circumstances, and he makes us ambassadors. He makes us ministers. He makes us little missionaries to the people we are around. Some of you may be, uh, I don't know, getting together for a football game or something. You're going to be around people, right? You're going to be around people. Maybe you've invited some non-Christians. 
you have an opportunity for ministry. He says there, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Again, that's non-Christians, making the best use of the time. Okay, so walk in wisdom toward outsiders. How, how do I do this? Well, he answers the question, making the best use of the time. So, so the way I walk in wisdom toward outsiders is by making the best use of the time. It's hard. Um, this word time here is, is not chronos. It's kairos, okay? Chronos is time, like time on a clock, 3 p.m. or 20 minutes, the amount of time. Kairos, on the other hand, is season or, or opportunity, this blip of, of time. This uh, opportunity is really the best word, and many of your translations might even do that. You think of uh, redeem the time, buy up this opportunity. That's what's going on here, okay? Uh, uh, Walking wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of opportunities that come your way. If, if you're alive today, God is putting opportunities in your path. He's putting people or, or groups of people in your path as opportunities to spread the gospel. He's saying there, make the best use. Redeem them. Buy them up is, is the literal word being used there, by the way. Buy up. You see a sale. You see all these opportunities. Buy them up. Take as many opportunities as you can and make the best use of them. But how do we do that? How do we make the best use of them? He says there in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer to each person. When these opportunities come our way, when we're around outsiders and we, we see, oh, oh here's, here's a moment, here's a moment, there, there's the, I, could, I could do this, we use our mouths right there for ministry. This speech, he says there, let your speech always be gracious. Now, I said there, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. These are two necessary uh, characteristics, I guess, characteristics of the way that our, our speech, the way that our mouths must be used in order for them to be leveraged for ministry, okay? This gracious seasoned with salt, I say that because like you, I've walked around downtown or, or, you know, downtown Atlanta or something, and I've had people share the gospel with me. I'm a Christian, and I was turned off to the gospel by the way that they talk to me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, if that's what Christians are like, then I don't know if I even want to be one anymore. You know, like, you have that, that thinking. These people don't come <laughs> gracious and seasoned with salt. Let's look at what those mean, these characteristics that we need in our speech and with our mouths uh, to be effective for ministry, to, to leverage our mouths for ministry. He first there says, gracious. It needs to be gracious. There, there are many ways that we can be gracious, but sometimes I think it's helpful to look at um, ungracious speaking to, to see the, the contrast. I don't know if you've ever uh, talked to someone who you feel like the whole conversation, they're just trying to, you know, let you see how smart they are and how, how dumb you are. Honestly, the other day, uh, maybe two weeks ago, we had a septic tank trouble at one of uh, our rental houses, and I was talking to the septic tank guy on the phone. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know septic tanks. I have never dug one up. I don't know how they work. You know, I get the basic idea of what they do. Let's go into that real quick. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, get, I get the basic idea of what they do, but I don't know you know, and so I'm talking to him. I'm like, well, do you think I really need this? You know, like that you're telling me, okay, it will be this many thousand to get this work done. Do you think I really need this? The guy just starts laughing at me. He's like, well, I would think so. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like, I'm a customer. I don't know. Like, do you think I study septic tanks? You get the idea. <laughs> when we talk to people about the gospel, we are not trying to show them how biblically literate we are, how smart we are in the Bible, and how little they know. Hey, do you know what propitiation means? No. <laughs> That's not how we share the gospel, guys. First uh, Corinthians 4, 7 says this, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Any biblical knowledge we have, this, this truth of the gospel that has come into our hearts and minds was a gift from God. 
Are we really going to be proud over people about what we know and they don't know? A gracious person is not a proud person. They, they understand the grace God has given them. In addition to that, I would say uh, being gracious isn't trying to fix the person or make them more moral. You know, they, they uh, may do a, live a lifestyle that you see as inappropriate. You know, you hear about what they did over the weekend when they come into work on Monday, and, you know, you, you just want to fix them. Man, you know you can't be doing that, right? You, you, the Bible clearly says that that is an abomination. You know, that is probably not going to be super helpful. See, what they need is a heart change, not just simply changing their morals. And lots of times we try to fix their morals, fix their lives, show them, you know, how they're breaking commands, when that's not really what they need. I'm not saying you don't tell them about sin and, and their need for Christ, but we're not trying to fix them. That's the Holy Spirit's part. 1 Peter 3.15 um, says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense— to anyone who asks you for a reason for, for the hope that is within you. That, that's it. You have this opportunity to share your faith. And then it says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. A Christian isn't trying to fix people and tell them how bad they are. A Christian recognizes their, their own sin, their own need for God's, God's work, his, the Spirit's work in our life. So they're, they're trying to change their heart. They're trying to show them these heart truths. That's gracious. And I would say, finally, gracious speech, as we share the gospel, isn't trying to get anything out of the other person. Okay? I've known people, and I've maybe <laughs> done it myself, I'm sure, who they, they shared the gospel only for a sense of accomplishment. Another notch on my belt. Yep, that's three people this week. Yep, doing pretty good. And so that's really all you want out of the person, is this sense of accomplishment. Or maybe you just want them to even say thank you. Thank you so much for, for caring about my eternal destination. You're probably not going to get that. Maybe you will. I don't know. But if you're looking for that from them, you're not going to be gracious, which is a free gift that you're giving them, right? Jesus says in Matthew uh, 10, verse 8, he's uh, sending out his disciples, and he says this, Matthew 10, verse 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay. You've received all this from God, now give freely. You've received grace, now give graciously. Speak the gospel graciously as one who is also a needy beggar. Gracious speech is a beautiful gift when it is truth mingled with love, showing people what they can have that God has already given you. That's the type of speech that opens doors for ministry in your own life, that, that makes the best use of these opportunities. The second point uh, that I see there that makes it uh, effective ministry, our speech, is it is seasoned with salt. It's seasoned with salt. So what does that mean, it's seasoned with salt? Uh, if you think about it, salt has a, a lot of different uh, properties, a lot of things that it's used for. And oftentimes in the Bible, it's used uh, for, for a preservative. Salt was used as a preservative, but it was also used as a flavoring. It gave meat flavor or, or you know, other, anything, uh, food that was bland, flavor. And I think that that's more what it's talking about in these verses, because it says there it's seasoned with salt. That's the idea of adding flavor, seasoned with salt. So what does it mean for our lives, our speech, to be gracious and seasoned with salt. I remember when I was a kid, I, I saw the way uh, uh, pastors were and these, you know, uh, the, maybe the deacons and things, and I assumed that in order to be a good Christian, you had to be an unhappy, very serious uh, person, very dutiful, no, I've got to do my duty for God, and that means I can't be happy, I can't smile that was really what I thought about Christianity. I thought, okay, I'm gonna, someday I'll get serious about Christianity, but for now, I want to have some fun and enjoy my life, so I'm not gonna get that serious about it, because I assumed that being serious about God equated uh, not being happy. Is that what the Bible shows us about Christians? The fruit of the Spirit is 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I don't have it all memorized, but you know, uh, (laughs) I do. But anyways, Christians should be the happiest of people. I swear, I've seen people, and I've, I've been it myself, and I've had to change it. It's like I'm telling someone that, uh, a bad report at the doctor's office. I, I'm so sorry, uh, but Jesus died for your sins. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, like, what am I apologizing for? I should have the joy of the Lord. I should be seasoned, flavored with this salt that brings a good dimension to bland flavor. When you are sharing the gospel, when you're telling about God's work in your own life and how that can be true in their lives, it should be good news. That's what the word gospel literally means, is good news. Guys, I don't know about you, but when I, uh, before I started walking with Jesus, accepting this gospel, my life, I tried to be happy. I tried to have peace. I tried to have this hope. But, but it wasn't really there. I was just scraping for it. When Jesus showed me the glory, the grace of the gospel, I had a whole new joy, a whole new peace in my life, no matter the circumstances. I had a whole new hope for the future that I cannot wait until it becomes sight, my faith becomes sight. I am excited about God. When I share the gospel, I want them to know how excited I am about this Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You are offering salvation. Season your flavor with salt. Let that excitement flow through you. I would say let it flow through your whole life. We we, we can be the joyful person at work, not the unhappy person. We can be the, the, the person who is unshaken by trouble because we have a hope outside of it and someone who is in control that is, in, that is powerful. We also can be a satisfied people. In America, that's not a popular thing to say. Guess what? You have Jesus Christ. You have the treasure that was hidden in the field. You have the pearl of great price that Jesus talked about. You don't need the newest, nicest, fanciest. You don't. You have Jesus. And you can show that with your life. I am satisfied because I have Jesus. And that's how our lives and our speech is gracious and seasoned with salt. We've been given a gift that we are now passing on as needy people to other needy people. And we're seasoned with salt as we have this joy of the gift that we've received. And we want others to see it as well. And it says there, Do this so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It says there, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Some of you, when I talk about evangelism and doing ministry in your actual own life with your own mouth, you say, Ooh, that sounds tough. I don't, what if I fail? What if I don't do a good job at it? These verses should simplify and remove that fear. If your speech is gracious, if your speech is seasoned with salt, excited about the gospel that you're sharing, you will know how you ought to answer each person. There it is, right there. Nothing else to be afraid of. Have this this grace in your life that you want to share. Be seasoned with this joy, and you'll know how to answer. You don't have to be afraid. I'll tell you that a a person with with deep faith and deep joy will be a far more effective evangelist than the person who studied all the evangelistic books and, uh, you know, apologetic tactics but doesn't have that grace or that joy. It's just true. God uses this, and we can leverage our mouths for this ministry. We leverage our mouths in prayer. We leverage our mouths for ministry. But the question comes, How? How do I do that? Am I just supposed to pull myself up by my bootstraps, become a a gracious person, become a joyful person on my own? You know, I just, I want to be more joyful, so I'm going to be. It just doesn't work that way. I want to become a more prayerful person. You want to know how much you trust God, believe God? Look at your prayer life. If you don't pray very often, then you don't really believe God that strongly, that he will do what he says he'll do in response to prayer. 
So how do I grow that kind of faith in my life? That's number three in your notes. Do this. Have this, you know, leveraging of your mouth for prayer and leveraging of your mouth for ministry. Do this by having your mouth transformed by Jesus. Have your mouth transformed by Jesus. Or I could say here, have your heart transformed by Jesus because it's really not a mouth problem if you don't pray much. It's really not a mouth problem if you don't minister much. And if you don't have this, this graciousness to you and this, this joy in God, it's really not a mouth problem. Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, uh, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It will be out of the overflow of what's going on in your heart for how much you leverage your mouth for prayer, for how much you leverage your mouth for ministry, for how you talk to your wife, for how you talk to your kids, for how you talk to your employer and employees. All of these things come from the heart. I can't change my heart. I can't change my heart. I don't know about you. In fact, I do know about you. <laughs> you can't change your heart because the Bible tells me that. But Jesus can. If we look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, 9 through 10, uh, it's an interesting thing. As I was studying back through it, it says this. Uh, do not lie to one another. So that's talking about use your mouth this way. Um, <clears throat> do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Okay, so that's talking about you, you've, you've, uh, the old man is dead, the new man is, is alive in your life, you, you, you're saved, you have this new heart. But it says there, put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you are a Christian, you are new. You do have a new heart and a new mind, but that heart and mind are being, present tense, continual tense, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We need our hearts to be changed, transformed by Jesus. This is going to seem overly simplistic, but I'm going to give you uh, two inseparable ways that this change can happen in your life. If, if these things aren't in your life, your mouth will not change. Your heart will not change, okay? These two things are meditation on Scripture, meditation on Scripture, and continual prayer. See, if, if we want our lives to change, our hearts to change, we, we need God to show us and change us through Scripture. It says there in Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul prays this. He says, And so from the day we heard that they got saved, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Where does that come from? <laughs> he says they're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You might, uh, you might say there, so as to speak in a manner worthy of God. So as to leverage your mouth in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. But how are we filled with that knowledge of God's will? We saw in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is filling, it's, it's soaking into who you are. And do that as the word of Christ dwells in you richly. I will tell you right now, just a blanket statement, if you are not reading and meditating on God's word, your heart will not change. In fact, it will change, but it will not be for the better. Because the current of this world, the current of our flesh that we still have to drag around in this life, uh, is pushing us towards ungodliness. It's pushing us to, to, to not using our mouths in ways that are pleasing to God and good for us. <clears throat> so we meditate on Scripture. We, we soak it up. But then I said that that needs to be paired with continual prayer. <laughs> Wait a second. So he says that I need to leverage my mouth for prayer, and in order to do that, I need to pray for it. I, I know that seems kind of like circular thinking, but as I have studied this text this week, and I've seen the need and the power of prayer, I cannot tell you how many times I've said, 
God, help me to be a more prayerful man. Help me to remember your power. Help me to remember my neediness. Help me to pray. Help me to pray. I'm not ashamed to pray for God to help me to pray. (laughs) I need it. I need to be a more prayerful person. And I need it to be a person who ministers well. We see that uh, when Paul wanted God to work in the hearts of these Colossian people, what did he do for them? I just read it. Since uh, since the day I heard of your salvation, I have not ceased praying for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. He prays for them. (laughs) That's what's going to make the difference in their spiritual life. We'll see uh, next week that Epaphras prayed the same way. It says in uh, 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on, be, on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's struggling on your behalf, that you may stand mature and fully assured. Prayer, prayer will help us in these ways. Prayer will help our spiritual lives, help us to leverage our mouths for prayer and for ministry. And Paul tells us that we even should do that for ourselves. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. But I said again, these are inseparable. We need to know what to pray. Where do we learn how we should pray? God's word. As we read God's word, we are inhaling, this is like breathing, we are inhaling his word, what he wants for us, his will, the the changes we should make, the, the goodness of his glory and his grace, we're inhaling that, and then we're exhaling our need in prayer. God, I see these things about you. God, I see these things about myself that need to change. Would you change it? God, would you make these truths that I'm breathing in real in my life? Prayer and meditating on God's word are inseparable. We we breathe in the word, we breathe out the prayer, and that brings the power to God's word. There are so many ways that we use our mouths, and so many of them are so trivial if they're not negative. I hope many positive ways you use your mouths as well, but I think of all the trivial conversations, all the the trivial uh, ways I spend my time when I could be leveraging my mouth for prayer for myself and for others. That I could be, as these opportunities arise, that I could be leveraging my mouth for ministry as it's gracious and seasoned with salt, sharing the gospel with them. You know, we saw those things about Paul, uh, what he wanted uh, the believers at Colossae to uh, pray for him. We can pray those for ourselves as well as we do ministry. God, today I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be around non-believers. God, would you open a door for your word? Would you soften a heart to make them ready to hear the gospel? And then when you see that, or when I see that opportunity, God, let me take that opportunity and give me a word for them that would be clear for the gospel. This is how we do ministry. God has given us a great gift with our mouths. And as we think about taking communion today, I will tell you, Jesus, his body was broken, his blood was shed for your mouth, <laughs> to redeem your mouth. The Bible has a lot to say about how the wicked use their mouths but it also has a lot to say about how the godly use your mouths. That's the work of Jesus. The question is, are you going to submit to his plan? Are you going to leverage your mouth? Are you going to ask him because you're needy? Are you going to minister to others who are needy? This is God's grace in our lives with this, this powerful tool. Let's pray and then take the communion. Father.